Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 22, A Night at the Theater. Alternately, there's no business like ghost business. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, which I also like. I Anyhow, like business. I like them both, but uh, I'm Aaron Sagers, co-host of Nightmerica, and also from Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera and ParanormalPopCulture.com, as always, joined by my co-hosts, Brett. Hello. Oh, Brett. we said it at Why? the same time. That was so magical. That was like podcast magic. Actually, I think that that's audio hell uh, <laughs> when it comes to editing, but... I'll deal but, with that. Summer continues as we record this. It's August, early August. It's hot outside, which I like oh my the God. heat. It's so hot. It's too humid, though. You feel like you're drinking the air. I, well, yeah. This is, as people know who listened to this podcast, originally from Florida. The first time, when I first moved to New York City, I was in August. I believe August 1st, in fact. And... Did not think I needed an air conditioner. Oh. And then, and I was like, very, it's hubris, it's hubris for you. Hubris will be your downfall. Where I was like, I, you know, whatever, I grew up in Florida, I'd be fine yeah. without one. But, melted. Yeah. I then melted into a puddle, a, an Aaron-sized Aaron puddle, <laughs> and then had to quickly relent and get an air conditioner and... Yeah, the and if, and if nobody's experienced summer in New York City, it is an entirely different thing. Oh my god, it's the it's, worst. It is it is a harder summer than anywhere that I have experienced before. I, sure. I'm sure there are hotter places, but it's definitely hotter than Florida, and I think more humid than Florida. Yes, and the subways in the summer are a nightmare. Like waiting for the subway, it feels like you're walking down the steps to a portal to hell. It's well, that would be appropriate content for this this show. But the oh yeah, we should do subways, duh, or portals to hell. The 
Oh yeah. It's it's called the I believe the urban island effect that basically there's you know just a ecosystem around certain cities that you know basically turn it into a subtropic climate. It's, we are subtropic the, right now. Like that's what they're saying. Yeah, yeah but without the without the actual tropic part. I know. I but, have a peace lily plant, so it's like kind of tropical. Well, we can talk a little... What about... Uh, this is the detour, and it's maybe not cryptozoological in nature, but have you seen very large rats in New York City during the... You know the, it. Because there's, there's... I talked about the this pandemic. on the hoof. Oh, we talked about this on the hoof. If anyone listened to it, I was on the hoof well, podcast with our friends. Pandemic plus rats that have been hungry and getting a little bit more bold as they seek out food. There's some big ends out there. Big ends, super big ends. And Central Park, I see them all the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're going to Central Park. I don't really go, since I'm based in Brooklyn, I'm not in Central Park often, but I have seen some massive, massive rats. And I wonder if there will be like an apex predator that emerges, like some maybe a massive alligator that emerges from the sewers. Well, you know, there's, um, have you heard of a rat king? Well, the rat king, in my understanding, is when a bunch of rats get tangled up together. Yes. And then, <laughs> yeah. As opposed to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle rat king, which was a villain. Oh. But he was, yeah. But, yeah. There's the Rat King. But the Rat King is not actually kingly, I don't think. It's just gross. I've never seen it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Who knows? We're on, we might be on our way to some sort of cryptozoological event in New York City are, based on the heat. We're going to cover it on Nightmarica, which is this podcast. Hi, guys. That you're currently listening to. <laughs> we did. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they downloaded the episode. They know <laughs> that they're listening to a podcast. Do they? Do, are there a lot, lot of podcasts of out there? Well, okay. Out of those new listeners, are there a lot of bait and switch type people that are like, "I'm going to start listening to Nightmarica." It's like, ha ha! It is actually uh, a Jane Austen dedicated podcast. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? We can do that for a Patreon episode. We should. Well, before we get into our topic, let's talk a little bit about the news and. What is your news story for this week? News of the weird. My weird news this week took place in Delaware. Um, a man took down a would-be robber in a very saucy manner. Uh, two weeks ago now, an unknown white man came into Stargate Pizza in Greenwood, Delaware, wielding a machete and demanding money. The shop owner stood his ground, said he didn't have any money to give him, um, and as he had no weapons on the premises, he decided to take on this robber by throwing a pizza in his face. The wow. robber ran away like he was afraid and ran away after getting a pizza. And like, imagine if it was hot out of the oven, he's going to have burns. So this guy hasn't been caught. But if you're a listener in Delaware, you can contact the Crime Stoppers page if you have a friend that has like weird cheese burns on their face all of a sudden. <laughs> and if you report this crime in the next 30 minutes, your pizza is free. Uh, yeah, that would be great. But yeah, so it's not. We're not sponsored was... by Stargate Pizza. No, we're not yet Stargate Pizza. <laughs> but 
wonder what was on the toppings of it. I hope and it was like pepperoni and it was boiling hot and he's got a big circular burn on his cheek. A pepperoni size burn. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be like, yeah, it could be all topping size. Um, that's in the co- in comic books. That's really how an, a supervillain would be born. You know, the old school t- comic books would be a lot of either radioactive exposure to something or acid. Acid was just mm. used all the time in comic books to create bad guys. So he could be pizza face. He's totally he pizza could face. Be, and, you know, hot pizza thrown in his face and then it sends him on a life of crime. Except if he was like pineapple topping pizza face, no one would take him seriously. <sighs> and at least 40% of the population would reject him because they don't like, I, I'm pro pineapple. I was just going to say, I thought you were pro pineapple. I remember that oh, because my dad is pro pineapple. So you and my dad can get pizza together. I'm I'm pro pineapples, but I I recognize that there are some people who are not. Uh, okay, well that's a I like that story. That is definitely weird. Yeah, and I liked it. The, you know, don't rob pizza places with yeah. The, just don't rob shedding. places. Yeah, especially like cool, locally kids. owned businesses. That's lame. I agree. I agree. But so my story is so last week as we record this last week. There was a, uh, another big New York Times article about UFO documents coming out of the government, some that are said to be, that are going to be declassified soon. The big word here is disclosure, and that supposedly we're getting trickles of disclosure. Personally, I don't think we're going to get full disclosure. I don't think we're going to know everything about these government files that the government has, I think there'll be just enough to sort of like, here, here you go. We gave this to you. I don't think they're going to go full on and say, but they're alien in nature or whatever, but the UFO or unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP still like UFO better. Yeah. That was a big story in the New York times a couple of weeks ago. So the result from that, just a lot of news stories coming out. I saw CNN post a story well it was a it was a broadcast and then they also posted online starting with with the the opening statement of it's time to stop calling people who research and believe ufos crackpots and that i I thought was a very bold kind of statement it's not i mean obviously it's something that i've believed for a long time but what i found even more fascinating and to me, it feels like a big, big news story is Scientific American on scientificamerican.com posted an article just a couple days ago, headline being unidentified aerial phenomena, better known as UFOs, deserve scientific exam investigation. UAP are a scientifically interesting problem. Interdisciplinary teams of scientists should study them. It's big because that is a major scientific journal saying that these are worthy of study, worthy of investigation. And I mean, that, that's like a, that is a big moment. Yeah, I think for sure. I don't this know is if exciting. it feels big to This you. is an exciting time to be alive. Like we're stuck well, inside. 
not much is happening. So, like, at least give us aliens. At least give us headlights. Or at least, well, I mean, granted, there's a lot of things that these could be. It could be some sort of solar event, some sort of uh, environmental Mm -hmm. phenomena. It could be man-made. could be either, if it's top secret, our government's certainly not going to say. It could be created by other governments. A lot of different things. But one of the things that I, uh, and again, this is, as it goes into what should be the approach to this, Scientific American says interdisciplinary approach and that it's especially interesting because it's not a U.S. specific event. So we need, we should be gathering scientists around the world to investigate this. And also the other things that are, that was interesting from this is that Scientific American, you know, these scientists there are saying, we need to stop looking at this. We're, we need to stop dismissing this as a ridiculous thing. And in fact, a couple of quotes that I just think are worthy of mentioning is, quote, as scientists, we must simply let scientific curiosity be the spearhead of understanding such phenomena. We should be cautious of outright dismissal. I actually think that could be applied to a lot of (laughs) paranormal phenomena and the study of which. And then it goes on. Curiosity is the reason we became scientists. In the current interdisciplinary collaborative environment, if someone, especially a fellow scientist, approaches us with an unsolved problem beyond our area of expertise, we usually do our best to actually contact other experts within our professional network to try and get some outside perspective. The best case scenario is that we work on a paper or a proposal with our colleague from another discipline. The worst case is that we learn something new from a colleague in another discipline. Either way, curiosity helps us to learn more and become scientists with broader perspectives. I Again, I just fit this feels big that yeah. Scientific American is saying we need to stop treating this as a a exploration a, a crackpot exploration yeah. and and there have been other people in the past that have been involved in this in the study of this Carl Sagan even J, uh, J. Allen Hynek you know there's big names but a lot of that after the 60s really went away there was some buildup of it that was it was being treated perhaps a little more seriously and then it was um kind of retreated but yeah i i i just i think this is kind of a big a big piece and um i thought it was worth mentioning but it's interesting it's it's well written too because like you said i think it applies to even more than just like alien or ufo investigations like the piece of the matter is like let's work together to like find common you know answers and it's like my god if we could all do that in all sorts of mediums what would this you know what could we achieve? well that is how that is how exploration and then um and, and then in discovery occurs yeah so go scientists so, yeah go scientists if you're I mean, a I scientist, say, go and, scientist yeah if you're a scientist and you listen to this podcast thank you we, I think we have at least one geologist that listens to the podcast. Oh, cool. So, so she's great. Um, so, okay, well, let's get into the topic. Of course, we're going to be talking about 
theaters and as teased in the headline. And before we get into that, did you, I, I am curious, did you ever have like a haunted theater growing up? I know there are not only in Chicago, but Paris has some really notoriously haunted theaters. Yeah. Um, I actually myself never went to the theater in Paris, um, but we would go in London a lot. But of course, I was so little, like I didn't really know. Um, Chicago, of course, has one, and that's what I'm doing my story on today. But I mean, I just love the theater scene. Like they have so many great superstitions and, you know, so much history involved that I think it lends itself to a lot of these really interesting stories. And you were a theater kid, so you really know it. I was, yeah. I was always like sort of journalist, writer, and theater kid. But theaters certainly lend themselves to phenomena, according to theory. It's a gathering of people, a lot of energy, a lot of emotion. And and then also a lot of times there's these renovations that take place over over the years. Although, uh, yeah, it's just going the the Paris Opera House mm-hmm. and uh, notorious for Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. I was uh, surprised you disappointed that you did not see a show there. Um, but that is a that's one of the famous ones. Mm-hmm. But mine, I was thinking about this. There's the Fox Theater, Fo- fabulous Fox Theater in Atlanta, which is one of my favorite theaters. But I was thinking about theater experiences and, and in the paranormal world, I have had a few, but when I was younger in college, I was living in Georgia for the first part of, of my college career. And there was a theater that I had actually performed in many times. And for whatever reason, this wasn't like a, a old majestic theater. It wasn't particularly fancy. It was just a theater. And for whatever reason, one time I had to go there, I think I had keys and had to go there to pick something up from the, the lighting booth. And maybe it's the wide open spaces. Maybe it's how dark it gets, except for the ghost light. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's the ghost light that's always on. But I went in and yeah, it was creepy, but then I walk upstairs and I go into the sound booth to try to get whatever, like I was retrieving something. And I distinctly remember this sense of not being alone. And that's a very, you know, it's it could just be your, your own mind working against you. I'm not saying it was a ghost, but I will say that I just felt like not alone there and in that experience in tifton georgia at the theater i had like i was just like i gotta get out of here and i did very quickly so that was my and that was not like a majestic theater but i think we're going to be talking about some Mm -hmm. cool majestic theaters um so before we get into it let's hear a word from one of our sponsors nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor manscaped And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? 
Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow galon. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop, whoop! That's what, that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this Lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquatchicles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can... Fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashicles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology... It does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the Squatch Code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my Squatchicles in the middle of the night. Because it's got an LED light on it. So you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped ball deodorant to, to make the squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you Flowers instead of Skunky. Well, Skunky... If you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely, and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped! No, no it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, well, let's dive into the theater. Let's check in. Let's let's tear our tickets. Let's tear our tickets. Let's go to coat check. And have the usher walk us yeah. to... Get our playbill. Maybe get some snacks. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Have a glass stop of wine. At the, well, also stop at the bathroom because it's no, there's nothing oh, more Lord. annoying than getting up in the middle of the it's show the to go pee. So, especially if you're sitting in the middle of the row. So, why don't you <laughs> kick things off? I speak from experience. Why don't you kick things <laughs> off? And what's your tale? Well, I'm excited to tell my tale because it's a story on my hometown that I had never heard of until my dear co-host, Aaron Sagers, friend of all, uh, told me about it. Um, Apparently, I lived in the Midwest without ever knowing anything about the Midwest. So here we go. Uh, We are doing this story on the Iroquois Theater uh, that used to be located where the Naderlander Theater is now, or also called the Oriental Theater. Um, It's in Chicago's downtown loop. When it first opened, critics were in love with it instantly. It opened November 23rd, 1903. um, And an article from the New York Clipper said, few theaters in America can rival its architectural perfections. So, like, there's that. Um, How did it get these architectural perfections? A little flexibility with the fire code. Um, Hmm. The Great Chicago Fire had been only 32 years prior. Um, So feels like a bold move to kind of be like whatever to fire code. But, well, we're going to learn about that. Um, So the theater... The theater. The theater sat 1,600 people, and it had only one entrance, one door. Why? Because they wanted this to be a theater where people were, like, see and be seen. So one entrance connected to a stair that connected to the balcony. So everyone could see your outfit as you, like, walked in to the theater. These were like the original Instagram influencers that were like risking their lives to like show off their look. Um, and it doesn't, I mean, obviously we know the story is going to take a horrible turn, but okay. So far it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. It's playing up the hype of the glamor of the theater. So, um, so I, I can get that so far, even though, but wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. But like also theaters take forever to like leave after a show now. Could you imagine being in the nosebleed seats when the curtain goes up and leaving? You would be there forever. Yeah, so. good point. Um, before they officially opened, a fire captain came and did an unofficial tour of the building to make sure it was up to code. Um, I guess like... They just wanted to stick to true Chicago fashion um, because in his report, this guy reported that there were no sprinklers, no fire alarms, no phones, or a water source 
to set out a fire. Instead, they had giant tubs of sodium bicarbonate, which is like a powder that you can, quote, forcibly hurl at a fire if it happened. I'm guessing this is like basically what is inside of now our fire extinguishers. But because there wasn't like this, like, actual fire extinguisher, they just had this powder in buckets around the theater that you could just throw at a fire. Um, he reported this, and the powers that be looked the other way because the theater gave them free tickets. So, hey Chicago. Um, <laughs> despite all of this, the Iroquois Theater opened right before Thanksgiving and advertised itself as absolutely fireproof like literally that was how it advertised itself it was like come see a show at the Iroquois theater we're absolutely fireproof that's like such a weird way to advertise yourself I mean like I guess like the Chicago fire hadn't happened all that long ago but like what it just feels well, so yeah. weird I'm sure people were a little bit gun shy maybe not 30 years later but yeah you know it it makes sense, but again, it's it's hubris. It's like yep. it's, uh, you're you're setting yourself up. Well, didn't um, they say the Titanic was an unsinkable ship? Yeah, and that was in 1912. So you yeah. would have thought <laughs> maybe they didn't learn the lesson from the Iroquois. Yeah, continue. Um. So a month after they opened, December 30th. The cast is performing Mr. Bluebeard, which is like a parody of the French story of Bluebeard. Um, and it was so popular that not only did they sell the 1,600 seats, they also sold an extra 400 tickets of standing room only for people to stand at like the back of the theater and in the halls. Um, at the end of the first act, a spark from an arc light lit a curtain on fire on the stage, and it instantly spread. Um, so one of the stagehands grabbed the bucket of sodium bicarbonate to hurl at the fire, but he was on the ground, and this fire was up by the lights. And so he forcibly hurled it <laughs> into the air, but the fire was at the top of a three-story building, so it just went... It's like when you watch those corgis like take a big ramp to jump into a lake and they just like make no air and just belly flop. That's exactly how I picture this to go down. Um, so Eddie Foy at the time was like a very famous vaudeville star and he was performing that night. And this hero ran on stage to try to keep the attendees calm despite the fire burning the theater down around him. His son was in the audience that night. I just got goosebumps. His son was in the audience that night. And as he passed his little boy off to a stagehand to get him out, he looked to the audience and was devastated to know how many mothers and children were in the audience because it was like a comedy show. So and it was a matinee, right? Yes, was, it was a matinee. It was like at 3 so, p.m. So younger audiences typically in a matinee. Yep. Um, but despite his, like, best efforts to keep people calm and keep things, you know, as best as he could, people panicked and they were all trying to cram out of the one front exit of the theater. Um, what's super interesting is that there were two baseball players there at the time, one for the Chicago Colts and one for the Boston Bean Eaters. 
why they're not still called the bean eaters is sad. Um, I could be a Boston bean eater. I freaking love beans. Um, they were in the audience and they started like moving things and they found two fire doors on the side of the theater that had been hidden by curtains and they both were able to unlock them and get people out. Um, the ushers had not been trained on how to unlock them. So it's interesting that the attendees were able to be the ones to save people. Um, those who were able to get out this way walked out onto unfinished fire escapes and they had to jump to their deaths from the sto multiple stories of this theater. Uh, what's really devastating is that the ones who jumped first didn't survive the fall, but they ended up breaking the falls of those who jumped after them. So some people were able to survive that way. Um, Northwest Which is just so like, I mean, that alone makes you ill. So yeah, traumatic that they survived because they were landing on on bodies, corpses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Northwestern university had a building just right next door. Um, and they, these students at this building actually shimmied a ladder from their building to that like top floor of the theater. And people were able to climb across that to safety Dancers and actor, actors backstage um, were trying to escape as like the smoke is building and building, but the back exit for the theater opened inward to bring sets in and it got jammed as people were like pushing their bodies against it. Performers ended up having to escape from dressing room windows or the coal hatch, um, which is like basically a doggy door kind of thing on buildings that they could shimmy coal through for fires or like some like my house growing up it was like a milk hatch where a milk delivery driver would put the milk and it would open on the inside so um, they would have to shimmy through these tiny things um, someone was able to open the freight doors backstage that like the giant scenery was brought through um, but that rushed a bunch of cold air into the stage and it created a fireball that like pushed through the stage over the orchestra and like burned everything and everyone stuck on the second level. Um, and like, as I talked about before the Titanic and like a kind of Titanic uh, level of classism, the theater brings down iron gates between performances to prevent people from cheap seats, moving down to better seats mid show, which also my dad and I would totally do at Blackhawk games. Um, but they would bring down iron gates to prevent that from happening. And these gates were never lifted. So these people in like the cheapest seats were trapped in this area. So they were stuck when the fireball went through. Um, they, if they did survive, they had to like climb over the overhangs or they were literally crushed to death, similar to the Heisel Stadium disaster that I covered, of pressing against these gates or trying to get these gates, and they were just asphyxiated with bodies. Um, it took about 15 minutes for the fire department to get there, and after police called from a police office box, like, down the street is how, like, how they were notified. Um, but in 15 minutes, so much destruction happened. 575 people in the theater died that day, including 300 from the cast and crew. Um, to 
put it in perspective, 300 people total were killed during like the Great Chicago Fire. So this is so many people. Um, and pretty much everyone else had injuries or damage to their lungs due to being in the smoke. Um, it's a horrible, horrible tragedy, but some good did come of it. Uh, after this, standing room tickets were never allowed to be sold again, just due to capacity codes. Chicago theaters were shut down for six weeks by Mayor Carter Harrison Jr. Um, he also faced charges that were, of course, later dismissed because we're telling the story about Chicago. Um, but he ignored warnings blatantly. Theaters across the world had to shut down until they were able to fix doors to open like outs like outside and be clearly marked. And they, of course, had to have more than one entrance and exit at the front. And this is also where panic bars was built. So we see on doors now those like large bars that you can push to open larger doors. This is what created them. Like all the people panicking, smushing against doors, trying to get them to open. That is how we have that in place. Um, and then theater wise, they now require all stages to have a fire curtain that comes down to separate the stage from the audience in case of a fire. So at least like one end is protected and people can get to safety. Um, there's a lot of interesting articles just to cite my sources. Um, I'm going to post them on our show notes, but of course, Chicago Tribune uh, has a ton of them. And then there's a really good website called Chicago and Cook County Cemeteries that has an article called Absolutely Fireproof, um, which is where I got most of my information from. But that's the terrible... Iroquois theater fire. Um, yeah. And I want to, like, since I, like, this location is so notable, uh, first off, I just want to give a shout out to um, Ursula Bielski of Chicago Hauntings as well, mm. because I've known about this story for a while, but um, she does a good haunted tour of the area, and I believe she goes to the Iroquois. The, a couple of the things that I just find so interesting from a paranormal perspective with this story is that you have this sudden violent death so obviously a lot of emotion in a place because of that and then it's largely unresolved like mm -hmm. the there wasn't anyone charged for uh, the, uh for the or no one was held accountable for yep the cutting of the corners and everything. There were some grave robbers, I guess, that were were body thieves that were um, uh, charged because the first people that were in the building uh, when it reopened were not really firefighters, but people that were yank yanking off uh, jewelry and necklaces and things. Even some reports of people cutting off women's fingers. Uh, <gasps> oh to, my god! To get rings I off because that. that was Ew. that was faster. Um, but the so the the ghost stories surrounding it, um, you know, there's it's a the theater itself no longer stands. Correct. If I'm, it's, if I'm remembering it correctly, de it demolished. But now there is the Naderlander Theater that's on the same block, but it is not the same building. Yeah, um, and the the Oriental is it the Naderlander or it's the, the it's the same. There? They're interchangeable. Okay. 
Okay. Well, anyhow, the alley outside of that, the newspaper called it the alley of what death and mutilation. Yes. I have walked down that alley so many times because it cuts across from one block to another. So one of my, the college I went to, they had a college campus, like right there. And I would walk down that all the time. I never experienced anything. Yeah. So as a, Ghost story, yeah, it's it's notoriously, supposedly haunted, and I think this also speaks to the reason that we tell ghost stories is to keep that history alive of these these people that, you know, they were just going out for a, a day at a show, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't deserve to die like that because of a lot of cost cutting measures. Interestingly enough, <laughs> that Bluebeard show or Mr. Bluebeard. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it's about? It's a guy who was a serial killer for his wives, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He murdered like seven wives and, um, he's about to murder his, his, uh, eighth wife. But (laughs) the thing that I, I love about it. Yeah. So it's based on a French folk tale, but it's hilarious to me. Is that it's considered a children's Christmas show. Well, so. that's what I was thinking, too. But then you know the rhyme, three blind mice? Mm-hmm. That's like three blind mice, see how they run. They all went after the farmer's wife who chopped off their tails with a carving knife. Like, we mm-hmm. sing that to my two-year-old knees. That's so yeah, creepy. But, I mean, there's a lot of, like, a lot of uh, dark stuff that comes out of uh, children's stories. Yeah, so. like the poppies. What's that poppy one? That's like about the bombings of World War II. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. But anyhow, yeah, that's a, I mean, I hate to say I, I don't love that story, but I'm, it is a certainly fascinating paranormal yeah. story. I'm so and glad you say, told me. My family in Chicago had not heard of it either. And we're like big theater people. So they're very excited yeah. for this episode. Yeah. And actually we're, just around the corner from the centennial of that, you know, it's only a couple mm-hmm. of years away from the hundred year anniversary of that. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what kind of activity takes place on the act on the mm. actual anniversary. Let's go. I would I would happily go. Okay. But well, before we dive into my story, let's hear from another sponsor. Think things are bad now? Well, it could be worse. Don't believe me? Just read Dead Run, the new sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive. And if you can't keep running... Now, this is the ad copy, so I'm reading the ad copy because it says, if you can't keep running, you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long. Not a good scene. Mm-mm. It's a very messy. Situation. And it's got to have marinara sauce because then it kind of looks like blood. Right, and this the pasta itself would be sort of Ew. look like viscera. Ew. And except in a microwave, but at least in a microwave, you're contained. The the explosion is contained. Yep. It's a messy microwave to clean up. But if you're running down the road and you can't keep can't Black. run anymore just splat you're just and then you're all over your friends and the other Ew. apocalyptic pals you do not nearby. splat on me 
And in an apocalypse, you don't have easy access to soap, water. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can stop running long enough to sh- like shampoo and, and bathe after yeah. your friend, your your pal has just blown up on you. Anyhow, I mean, this is really, I think, selling the book. Anyhow, the story follows a group of weary travelers as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule. Run or die. This is Dead Run. And other than being chilling and scary, it will also perhaps inspire you to eat the right kind of carbs and jog every day just in case this apocalypse hits. So check it out. It's available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only like three bucks. It's well worth your three bucks. And read Dead Run by Mike Maddox on Amazon Kindle. So... My story is, yeah, you know, it's, there's so many, it's worth noting, there's so many haunted theaters around the world and around the country, and I couldn't quite decide which one to go with, because I know of, of quite a few of them. There is one that um, is in Cleveland, I believe, that's connected to Lemmy from Motorhead. Uh, not that his ghost haunts the, the place, but it's, you know, he plays a significant part of the, uh, of the lore of that theater. And, but uh, weirdly enough, that's not what I'm going to go with. Cause I felt like you had the Midwest covered. So I should uh, clear <laughs> out of there. There's a lot in LA. There's some in Utah, 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 Utah. Um, <laughs> You know, but instead of the Variety Theater in Cleveland, instead of the Palace Theater or the Grauman's Theater mm-hmm. in L.A., I decided to bring it back home to New York City. And just uh, before I get into it, I want to read this quote from Playbill. Playbill said, quote, each night after the applause dies, the curtain falls the audience vanishes, the cleaner's dust, and the lights are killed. Great theaters become dark and silent places, but not always quite empty. And I think that's a cool quote, mm-hmm. just speaking to the haunted reputations of theaters. So instead of the Palace Theater in Los Angeles, instead we're going to talk about the Palace Theater in New York City. It's located... Broadway and West 47th Street opened on March 24th, 1913, and it was built by promoter Mark Beck, and he called this called this theater the Valhalla of Vaudeville, and indeed it was a showcase to vaudeville performers. Now. I want to quote from Curbed a little bit here, and they note that this was built by the Milwaukee-based architecture firm of Kirchhoff and Rose, and it says that they were somewhat limited in their design potential because, and this is interesting, the theater was actually located in a 10-story office building and surrounded by existing buildings. So that's, even in 1913, that's a crowded New York City. So they designed this three-level auditorium with 16 parquet-style boxes arranged along the walls. And there was also this big arch that had the sort of stylized sunbursts 
on either side of the arch. So that it was, was a neoclassical style. And I think that's always interesting to find out about the architecture of the building. But from the time that it opened, 1913, and really from 1915 to 1930, this was just populated with so many top performers, Irving Berlin, Helen Keller, uh, Harry Houdini performed there. Big Helen fan of Keller? Harry Houdini. Helen Keller, what yeah. Did, did I, I, I don't know what her performance was, but I'm sure it was well, probably not a performance, probably a talk. Oh, Jack she had Benny, dachshunds. Did you know that? I did not. But I wonder if she brought her dachshunds to the <laughs> Palace Theater. You could do that when you're a big time star. You can like just bring your animals places. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Mark Hamill from Star Wars, he travels with his dog. Carrie Fisher used to travel with her dog. That's really what I want to do. But not to the Palace Theater because that was in 1930 and the Marx Brothers were there, Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire. All these guys and women perform there, Bob Hope. And this expression to play the palace was this expression of success. That's how you knew that you made it. And interestingly, it was such a location that people would perform outside the theater. There was an area called the beach outside of the palace and jugglers, comedians, dancers, dog acts, even, I don't know if they were docks and dog acts would, would perform on the sidewalk on in front of the palace known as the beach, trying to get the eye of the bookers. So that didn't last too long though, because what happened was, well, I said it was pretty popular until 1930. Well, the Great Depression. Mm. Around the time of the Great Depression, public was not so fascinated in vaudeville, and certainly the theater itself was not as popular. And entertainment really became the entertainment media of choice was radio and film. And the theater became the RKO Palace, a cinema, in 1932. It would still it would still have some reviews over the following decades. And they even tried to bring vaudeville back to the stage at one point. Frank Sinatra was there. Uh, Danny Kay. I don't know if you're familiar with Danny Kay. You probably no. are. No. Okay. Uh, White, White Christmas. No. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry Belafonte. And Judy Garland. It's important to note. Judy Garland. Her final New York performances happened in the theater in 1967. Mm. So in the 60s, the theater was renovated and then it reopened as a regular theater in 1966. And it was back to hosting musicals at that point. Now, it's hard to ever quantify this. People say more than 100 ghosts haunt the Palace Theater. Okay, is it like a questionable claim? Yeah, that's that's always my thing. It's like ghosts are terrible about filling filling out surveys and census, (laughs) but you know we easily say places are the most haunted city, the most haunted theater. But okay, whatever. It's it's would I would say that it's considered to be the most haunted theater in New York City at least. Let's get into the ghosts of the palace. There's a couple at least said to haunt the orchestra pit itself. Perhaps the most famous is this white gowned cellist. And 
I love the idea of a ghostly cellist, but a white gown cellist who still performs. And actress Andrea McArdle was in Beauty and the Beast in 1999. And I don't have a direct quote from her, but it is part of the industry lore that she spotted this cellist while she was performing. She spotted this cellist in the orchestra pit, the ghostly cellist, probably also a real cellist. But the ghostly cellist is more interesting. The Another phenomena is from a seating area for the band, and there's supposedly a phantom pianist. And supposedly the piano starts to play, and you can see the keys dancing up and down, but you don't see anyone on the bench, which is just classic, great, spooky, mm -hmm. ghosty type of stuff. There are also a pair of kids, kid ghosts, that are in the theater. And one is said to be a little girl, sometimes reported as sad looking, but a little girl who's sort of a peekaboo ghost who looks down from the balcony. There's also supposedly a little boy who rolls toy trucks on the landing behind the mezzanine. I do want to say as far as child ghosts, sometimes we go to this, this idea of maybe they died there or isn't that sad. I don't know. Could be that they had such a great time there that they left some sort of emotional footprint in a location. Mm -hmm. It's not always tragedy associated with hauntings. There's also this man in a brown suit who is said to be seen at the palace. He apparently walks quickly past the office doors and a they some people believe that he's a the ghost of a manager who was counting up the house. So some people say it was even Mark Beck himself, who was the, who had, who built the theater and was the original promoter. Interesting. If I become a ghost, I sure as hell better not be haunting retail stores as a manager. Like put me somewhere cool. I am not sending people on their lunch breaks after death. <laughs> well, it depends on how much say you have in the matter, but if it's residual, that's what I'm going to be doing. Well, no, well, if, yeah, but it's not you. It's just it's it's not a that's not an intelligent haunt. If it's you and it's residual, then it's just it's a moment in time playing on a loop. So it's it's not your awareness for consciousness that's involved in it, in theory. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. like an imprint. Yeah, yeah. If it's intelligent and if you're there, well, that sucks. <laughs> it does maybe suck. that could be, maybe that would be like your hell. Maybe that means that you've pissed off some deity and now your eternity is to work in retail after after death. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. I know. This is, but I think, let's move on. This is making me feel emotional. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think anyone really wants to work at their job all their life after. Exactly. After go, but I'm going, you can hitch a ride with me to Tahiti, I think. That's awesome. where I'm going to be spending my afterlife. Come with us, Nightmaricans. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's only enough room in the car and the, and the ghost mobile for. I don't know, but I mean, I guess we can borrow just, the Scooby Doo my, van. How many people do you think fit the Scooby Doo van? There I don't was, know, there's like six of them, and Scooby. 
Or the dog is the dog named Scooby? There's not six people in Scooby Doo. Yeah, huh? There's the preppy boy. Name them. The preppy Wait, boy. No, names. I don't know their names. I'm a 30 year old woman. There's preppy Scooby-Doo boy. Scooby Doo transcends There's the age. Weed boy. There's the nerdy girl. There's the pretty girl. The dog. I don't know. I got five. Well, okay. I guess the dog is the main character, but I wouldn't count him as far as the people that are sitting in the car. I don't but... know. if I don't want extra people squashed in your car if your dogs are in there. You know? It's Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby. Now, if if they were on an adventure with Scrappy-Doo... Who's Scrappy? Every, well, every, I don't know. There's probably Scrappy-Doo defenders out there. But Scrappy-Doo is pretty roundly, universally considered just the worst. It's just Why? like the... Because he's the young character they introduce to liven things up, but he's a freaking know-it-all dog, and he's just obnoxious. In fact, there's a vast Scooby-Doo family. There's a big Doo family. So, you know... Oh, Scrappy-Doo is cute! Scrappy-Doo was an obnoxious turd, and no one likes him. He is the Cousin Oliver of the Mystery Gang. Who's Cousin Oliver? Cousin Oliver, this is taking such a detour. (laughs) Cousin Oliver was the character added to the Brady Bunch, also intended to be like the younger, cuter, precocious child character to liven things up. This typically happens when a show enters, uh, goes a couple seasons and the kids on the show are getting older and they introduce a younger character to liven things up. It, uh, every major sitcom, I think, has done that, including Growing Pains, which had a younger character, but then they needed another younger character later on and that other younger character was played by a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, dang. So... So yes, the cousin Oliver effect or the Scooby or Scrappy Doo effect is you know. But anyhow, Scrappy Doo, yeah. I guess if you count Scrappy Doo, there's six people in the mystery machine. But I think you could fit more. You could probably put another bench in that van. I don't know if that van would make it to Tahiti to hang out on a ghostly beach with me, but. We'll sort out the logistics in the afterlife where we have plenty of time to do this. Anyway. Anyhow. The manager. So the Palace Theater. <laughs> yeah. The manager of the Palace Theater supposedly haunts the location as well. There's also, see, I, I think this is kind of cool because this was a weirdly good cliffhanger for the next one. Because, well, there is another ghost by the name of George. People call him that. I don't know that he's introduced himself as George. Supposedly a former manager. And this is sad. He hung himself. And when you pass the spot where it happened, you can supposedly smell the burning cigarettes that he used to chain smoke. But the most famous spook of the Palace Theater Someone that was performing her final New York City performances there was Judy Garland. Judy Garland is said to haunt a door that was actually built specifically for her 
at the rear of the orchestra. And this was used for her own entrances, private entrances on and, and off stage, entrances and exits. And some reports say that you can see Judy Garland poking out the door before vanishing. Mm. Apparently still keeping an eye on the crowd, see who's out there to, to watch her. And during a 2011 rev- uh, uh, showing of Annie, the revival of Annie, Playbill reported that actor Ryan Van Den Boom claimed that when alone in a dressing room one night, he thought he heard a voice call Judy. Or maybe it was Judy. I don't know. I'm going with Judy. Because as a ghost, that's how I will communicate everything. Now, that's interesting. It's worth noting also that that's always good for press when you can drum up a good ghost story uh, in a haunted theater and you're in a show. But the one ghost, another ghost that, and this is sort of Judy is the most famous one, but this one is the ghost that you don't want to encounter because, so there was, he's the ghost of a vaudeville acrobat. And according to the lore of the palace legend, During a performance, he fell and broke his neck. His name is Louis Borsellino, and he was known as the Palace Ghost. Apparently in the 1950s, this as a high wire act, he was performing without a net, fell to his death on the stage floor. Pretty terrible. Yeah, that's bad. And when the theater is empty, Borsellino's apparition can be seen swinging from the rafters. Now, if you see him and he lets out a scream, blood curdling in nature, as he reenacts his nosedive to his demise, it's not so good for you. Because if that happens, you are rumored to die (gasps) shortly thereafter. He's a harbinger, harbinger ghost. Although, he probably also didn't die, because (laughs) the New York Times reported in 1935 that, yes, he did fall, and he fell 18 feet, which is a a a big fall, but in front of a crowd of 800 people, too. But he was only injured. So, but, you know, who knows? Maybe he could still, that tragic Mm -hmm. moment could still haunt the theater. Anyhow, the the ghosts of the Palace Theater are so well-renowned that I just found this pretty humorous. So the the theater was undergoing renovations before the pandemic. It was supposed to reopen in 2021. I don't know what that timeline Mm -hmm. looks like now, but they're so well-renowned that there's a satirical website called Broadway Beat that kind of poked fun at it a little bit because... There was the show SpongeBob SquarePants that played mm-hmm. at the Palace Theater. And Broadway Beat even said, Palace Theater construction workers haunted by the ghost of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and it's a it's a pretty actually pretty funny article about them encountering this this pale ghost or a pale yellow ghost that they've encountered in the theater. But that's cute. So uh, and I also, in addition to Playbill and Curbs, I also want to 
give a nod to hauntsandhistory.blogspot.com. They had some nice research on their site as well. So that is the Palace Theater, both a place for plays as well as movies at different times in their career. But there are so many great haunted theater stories out there. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, makes me want to take an. I think I've been there before, but it makes me want to take another trip to the Broadway. Uh, moments to people's moments of great triumph and tragedy take place there too. The moments where they become a star, mm-hmm. or where they feel like they flopped and and then disappear. So many yeah. dreams and wants and desires are playing out on those on that stage. So, well, with that said. Let's wrap up with some paranormal pop culture recommendations. What are you into this week? Um, this week, I finally watched the movie. Those of you who listen know that I've like not seen any movie ever. Um, but I watched the 2006 movie Nice Guys, where Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe play like kind of crummy PIs that are trying to figure out the death of this porn star and if it was a ghost that you know her grandma saw and what happened and it was just really funny it's I watched you know I mean I'll be gone in the dark ended this week and it's like very sad and heavy and so it's like a nice light pulp like true crimey pop culture situation so I highly recommend it it's funny very cool yeah yeah it is it is a good movie yeah I do like that movie I should go back and revisit it it's only a couple years old, but yeah. I feel like so much has happened between now and then. I forget about it. Uh, I'm into core horror, what? which is a it's a subgenre of horror. I'll say it again: core horror, quarantine horror. Oh, and so this has been something that's been popping up. Obviously, people are still going to be interesting creatives and put stuff out there. And and there's been some good sort of pandemic inspired horror movies on YouTube, but the one that I'm specifically going to recommend is called Host, and it just debuted, as we record this, only debuted like last week on the horror streaming service Shudder. It was filmed over 12 weeks in quarantine entirely on Zoom, and it is... The, the setup is that it's these girls, these young girls that are holding a virtual seance over Zoom during lockdown, which is really something that, you know, you would do. Totally, I would do like, it. It's a slumber party kind of thing. I mean, I've had tarot readings on Zoom. Yeah. I've, I've done Ouija board Totes. experiments on Zoom. So Can we do that now, for a mini-sode? A Ouija board experiment on or Zoom? Or just any kind of cool thing like this. Let's do it. I'm, I'm sure we can. Just have to plan it. But yeah. the what's, what's cool about this is that it utilizes a lot of the elements of Zoom that typically would be annoying, but instead are, are turned into spooky... Uh, spooky effects such as you know when your when when your voice becomes garbled that audio kind of 
clicks out or whatever, or when you drop off, or even it's, they even do some interesting things with sort of the fake backgrounds. You, know, you don't actually know where people are when the when those fake backgrounds yeah. are up because they're almost a little too good. And and even filters, they play with filters as well. This is directed by Rob Savage, and it's very timely. But the thing I will add to this is that I'm not easily creeped out. This is a this is can be a quite creepy movie. Oh, I can't it's, wait to watch it. I, you know, I I obviously talk a lot about creepy stuff, and I think that they really did a a great job with this. And it's it's a Zoom feature movie, so check out cool. check out Host. I've on, been debating getting Shutter, but now I feel like I should. I feel like you should. And yeah. if Shutter wants to sponsor us, like that'd be cool. Shutter sponsor us. <laughs> talk right to Shutter. Shutter, if you're listening, we want you. Yeah. Let's or make it work. Like anyone. If anyone wants to sponsor us, that'd be cool. Yeah, not to seem so desperate or anything, <laughs> Britt. But really, literally anyone. We've already asked you to download the podcast and listen. We also have a Patreon page that you can support. <laughs> but if you want to take that next step in supporting our podcasts, you know, we need a sponsor. Please. Please. Be a sponsor. <laughs> well, you want us to come over and clean your apartment? We'll do it. Just sponsor us. <laughs> Aaron will yeah. do it. Aaron will do it without a shirt yeah. on, ladies. Nobody wants that. Uh, I think a lot of women would want that, Aaron. You've got quite the following. I well, what's nice is that I've you know it's during summertime. I have gotten a little bit of color. So if you <laughs> if you sponsor us and you want me to come clean your house with my shirt off, God help you. First off, this <laughs> pandemic has been very hard on you. If that is the case. <laughs> But if you want it, if you are that level of masochist that you just need that in your life, rather than the pasty white glow of my skin for the previous months of pandemic, you will get a slightly less pasty white glow due to exposure to sun. But really, I mean, I even just my sense of ethics at this moment, I, I, well, yeah, we want sponsors, but I don't even feel like I can do that to you. But you know, let us this, know. We have this, an email address. This is my favorite ending to an episode yet. Thanks, guys. If you like Nightmerica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmerica. And consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice, which is for entertainment purposes only, email nightmericashow at gmail.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.